2: As someone who spent six years covering Capitol Hill and the White House, I can tell you that official Washington likes to call things by weird names, names that serve political purposes. Take, for example, the Inflation Reduction Act.
0: With the Inflation Reduction Act, this Senate Democratic majority has achieved what countless others uh, have come to Washington promising to do but ultimately failed to deliver.
2: Okay, fine, Chuck Schumer, whatever you say. The truth is, this bill is about climate change, no matter what Senate Democrats had to call it to get West Virginia's Joe Manchin on board. So you could give this thing a few other names.
0: I mean, there's the Manchin made this take a while act. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's Pranchu Verma, who covers innovation for The Washington Post. He was gracious enough to play along with my congressional bill naming free association exercise.
0: There's the the cra- crazy sci-fi green tech is coming upon us act. Uh, you know, I'm kind of curious what you think.
2: Could you call it? Could you call it a a carbon reduction act, or is it more of like, here's some cool carbon tech
0: act? Yeah, you could call it a carbon reduction act. You could call it a um, you could call it an alternative energy act. You could call it. I mean, frankly, you could also try to, you know, there's so much with electrical, electric vehicles in there, mm. you know, you know, here's what's getting, you know, electrical, m- m- electrical vehicle modernization or affordable m- electrical. Ugh.
2: That really rolls off the tongue.
0: That doesn't, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Inflation Reduction Act is better than that option. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. I've done naming bills on my, <laughs> I am, I, I'm fired from that job. <laughs>
2: But in Prontu's day job, which is to report on new technology and innovation, he sees this bill as a potential game changer, something that can take climate change technology and supercharge it.
0: You know, this is unparalleled levels of investment, um, specifically for climate change. I mean, I know that there were proposals to fund far more and give money far more to climate technology and climate change solutions, but... The $370 roughly, is still the single largest, you know, investment from the U.S. government in history to stem global warming. So, um, and the way it's being done, it does seem to have a shot at being very transformative, I would say.
2: So, today on the show, the climate tech gets a lot more money and maybe changes the Planet Act. You can think about climate tech as any type of technology that helps mitigate climate change, from electric vehicle charging stations to sustainable batteries, solar energy to direct air carbon removal. It's a hot sector, no pun intended. The accounting firm PwC says there are 78 private climate tech companies worth over a billion dollars. The Inflation Reduction Act is not the first time the government has plunked a significant amount of money into climate technology. Back in 2009, President Obama's stimulus bill contained $90 billion to promote clean energy. Some of that fizzled, most notably with the failed solar company, Solyndra. Other technologies of that era, Pranchu says, just weren't ready for prime time or weren't cheap enough for widespread adoption. But since then, the tech has gotten better and more attractive to investors.
0: And so now, you know, we're having a second generation attempt at this. And A lot of it is being driven by government investment, no doubt. Um, And then also, you know, the business case kind of became more apparent uh, and venture capitalists have now taken a lot of, you know, ownership in the space for better and for worse. But there is a lot of venture capital money kind of flowing in to, you know, supplement the government cash to research and develop solutions and you're starting to see, you know, a few kernels of, like, themes coming up of, like, places where climate tech is really advancing.
2: How does the Inflation Reduction Act do this? Like, what are the mechanisms?
0: They're tax credits, really, and, and, and just raw dollars for research and development, I would say, that really are the two main mechanisms through which you'll see um, climate technology companies get bolster and get funding for some of their solutions or or make it more of a business case to to go and do their solutions and, and, and uh, you know, try and, and invest and, and make, you know, some gains in some of their technology that they're testing out.
2: One thing that's notable here is that the clean energy landscape in which the government is making these investments is pretty different from what it was back in the early 2000s.
0: The raw cost to do it is getting cheaper, right? The the Because of the scientific innovations, the process innovations, it's still expensive, but it is cheaper. And there's a more feasible business case for like, hey, I create this thing that is going to create wind or solar power and distribute it to millions of people. But doing it at a cost that's affordable to the individual consumer or to a state that wants to use this was really never that possible. But because of the technological gains, because of some of the process gains over the past decade, spurred in part by government research and investment and, and other research and investment, it's now becoming more and more possible, still needs more work. And I think this is where the IRA comes in, where it it, it it spurs and jolts this next level of innovation to get more process gains and to get it cheaper and to get it into a place where it becomes feasible in a time scale that we need, which is, you know, right now.
2: Climate tech takes money, often Big chunks of it right up front for research and investment. And that, theoretically, is where this bill comes in. Prontu has a good analogy.
0: Climate technology is not unlike um, pharmaceuticals and biotechnology, right? Like you have, when you think about it, when you need to make a medicine, you have no idea if it's going to work. And so Hmm. you need to pour a lot of money in and it costs, right, they say like billions of dollars to make that first pill and then five cents to make every pill after. Climate tech is kind of like that. Like until you figure out an energy solution that actually works, it takes billions of dollars to get there. But once you perfect it, then you can make it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. But we're still in that phase where we need a lot of money for these climate tech solutions. and so you know the investors are getting more more and more lured in as the government is becoming more and more a partner in some of these places
2: i'd love to take a couple of of pieces of kind of the most promising technology and and really dig into them um what stands out to you what are the buckets that you're looking at
0: there's carbon capture um i think and alternative energy and within alternative energy there's geothermal energy and and Green hydrogen and, and nuclear fusion energy that I think are, you know, you see some of these buckets um uh really becoming more common and and more getting more attention nowadays. But I, you know, I would definitely say the thing we'll probably see first out of any of those will probably be things called carbon capture
2: systems. And carbon capture systems, we've reported on this show before, essentially they suck carbon out of the air, either actively or passively or semi-passively. How does this bill prop up carbon capture?
0: So before this bill passed, companies that captured carbon out of the air would get $50 per ton of carbon they captured out of the air as a tax credit from the government. And to qualify for that tax credit, they needed to capture at least 100,000 tons of carbon out of the air. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. This bill, instead of that $50 per ton, now companies will get $180 per ton for every ton of carbon they capture out of the air. And to qualify for this credit, they no longer have to have a big project that's a 100,000 tons of carbon now they can have something as low as 1,000 tons of carbon.
2: And do the companies that you have talked to and the industry people you've talked to, is that attractive to them?
0: It is. um, I talked to a host of CEOs of carbon capture systems. And carbon capture systems, it's still unclear to me how much they actually cost on the market because I think the CEOs are still developing that actual business case and business model but they're not on the order of billions, but they're on the order of millions, right? And it roughly costs about $400 to $600 to operate a carbon capture system for every ton of carbon. And so now if you think about that, $400 to $600 in operating costs per ton of carbon, if the government's only giving you $50 per ton back, you know, you got to make sure that your price point, you know, you, 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 you got to make up that money somehow.
2: Right. You got to charge a lot.
0: You got to charge a lot. Now, $180 that, that, that is, that is the level of difference that, you know, our CEOs are saying they can now go to, you know, not just philanthropies, you know, like a Bill Gates philanthropy or something, but they can go to venture capitalists. They can go to outside money raisers and they can say, look, we're now getting more money from the government. We have a better business case to say we're going to get returns in the future because we're getting more support from the, for, from the, from the government. For them, the banking is, is that, you know, they get to the path where they can mainstream this technology. But right now, that, that's really helpful to lure in some outside cash for these companies who are, you know, it's a cash-intensive business.
2: What other technology is getting a big lift from this bill? You know, I think
0: uh nuclear fusion is going to be another one that we see get a, a a pretty big lift of attention from this bill. It, it's really interesting because nuclear fusion has always been considered the holy grail of of energy, right? It's harnessing the energy from two nuclear atoms when they're splitting, harnessing that that energy, which is very hard to harness, and then using that to create an alternative source of energy. And this can be unlimited and clean. And yet it's scientifically been nearly, you know, not impossible, but very science fiction-y to consider it, um, you know, mainstream. But again, like in the past five to six years specifically, you've seen nuclear fusion reach a few milestones with a few companies. Um, And again, the, the money that's coming from this, this act you know that's going to invest you know hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in, in continued research um, is going to be what I think is is, is needed um, to bring this technology and solve some of the, the last minute research problems that that these um, these companies are having to bring it to scale.
2: And then I think the thing that is on the market or seems most most close to being on the market in a widespread way, obviously, is electric vehicles. What does the bill do there?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I think the, ultimately what the bill does is that it makes billions in tax credits available to make electric vehicles cheaper for the consumer to to buy. And then, right, it also- this
2: isn't investment. This is you and me going and buying cars. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. And it's not just like let me invest in the technology. It's like let me invest in in making it cheaper to buy these solutions.
2: When we come back, is government money for clean tech just a climate change band aid?
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners. Whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Like anyone who spends their time thinking and writing about innovation, Pranchu got pretty excited talking about the weird stuff in this bill. Technologies that would no doubt be helpful fighting climate change, but still feel kind of sci-fi or even borderline impossible.
0: I mean, I do think the most experimental thing I've heard and we reported on was this thing called, which I kind of love, it's called super hot rock energy. And, I mean, you know, if you think about it, the Earth generates a lot of heat, right? And, and it's theoretically limitless. Um, and so we've used the Earth's heat before, right? It's called geothermal energy. So, so we've used the Earth's heat before to, to harness it and, and, and use it to make power. But it's never been at a powerful enough scale and done widespread enough throughout the world to to really make such a dent. And so now you have scientists that are really trying to go deep, deep, deep down into the earth, like nine miles deep, deeper than anyone has ever gone before, you know, to go to a point where the earth reaches about 750 degrees Fahrenheit. And so they want to drill a hole all the way down there, And then they want to pour and pump water all the way down there. And then they want that water to turn into like a really potent energy filled steam and then pump that energy back up, that steam back up into the uh, earth's ground, put it through a turbine and make it, you know, a a source of power, you know. Hmm. And so that is theoretically, again, limitless source of energy and nearly zero carbon emissions through that process. But just to give you a scale of the challenge, the science actually isn't the challenge here in this one. It's really the engineering. I think the the the, the most anyone has ever drilled deep underground is a Russian team in the 1980s, drilled about seven and a half miles deep under, underground, right? So you're saying now to make this type of energy theoretically possible, you got to go deeper than anyone's ever done. And they did it decades ago, right? So So that challenge is really, really... Um, you know, it's hard to see.
2: Another piece of pretty far-out tech that gets some money in this bill would essentially put a carbon capture system on the back of a train car. The train's brakes would power it, and then it would suck carbon out of the air and store it in a reservoir on the train.
0: I mean, talk about sci-fi, right? Just the logistical issues of, you know, will train companies want to put carbon capture systems on, on, on their trains? The thousands and thousands of of trains that would need to have carbon capture pods on them, you know, is that actually feasible to get to a level of like, you know, okay, we're making a dent in the environment and we're we're an active reason why we're getting to net zero emission emissions. Um, and so, you know, who knows if that's actually gonna happen, but it's 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 definitely more in the field of consideration now because I was just talking to the CEO of that company and he's like, Look, I'm in a $10 million fundraising round right now. I need to develop a prototype by next year. And this this is this is changing the game with my conversations because people are willing to put more money in there now. And so for him, you know, it's helpful to to kind of have this environment where you know experimentation is being you know it's being actively thrived and 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 j- given a jolt because of this bill
2: listening to you you are actually making me think of processors of of the pentagon's investment in computer processing chips and how government money spurred the commercial sector and the private sector to make faster and faster chips that are now, you know, cheap and easy and and readily available to you and me. Do you think that's a fair analogy?
0: Yeah, I actually had not put that in my mind together, but hearing you say it, that's a great, that is a great analogy. It's the tenet of what we're seeing here. It's you have a technology that's been you know, up until a certain point, hard to master and government money comes in at a time where makes it a little easier to master and process gains come in. And then you build a culture right from the universities to the investors, to the founders and the scientists, right? Like that's the important part is you build this culture and, and communication with each other of innovation, around climate technology that kind of feeds each other and then helps build process advancement quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker. And like you said, with the processors, now you have a a, where processors of of three years ago, three months ago, are, are seen relatively outdated with the level of pace of innovation. So let's hope that, you know, that kind of principle and that culture gets fostered in the climate technology space. I mean, we see the seeds of it. Um, and can this be, you know, the catalyst? Let's let, let, you know, time will tell.
2: In terms of time, Pranchu says we won't really know if any of the tech jump by the Inflation Reduction Act is successful for at least a decade. And it might take even longer than that for it to bloom commercially. That's a lot of taxpayer money for something uncertain. At the same time, there's another criticism of clean tech, that it doesn't fundamentally alter the behaviors that led to global warming in the first place one of the big knocks on carbon tech in general and and things like direct air carbon capture is that they're band-aids, that they don't take enough carbon out of the atmosphere to make a significant dent in in climate change. How much do these things move the needle, do you think?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I I So it's a complicated one because when you talk to critics of carbon capture, they say this exact thing. They're like, well, all carbon capture is really doing is it's letting me emit as much as I want, but then letting me create solutions to just take that stuff out of the air, right? So it's like, okay, you know, I'm not changing my underlying behavior. Um, And that's what really moves the needle. But that being said, for better or for worse government has kind of is relying on carbon capture to achieve you know upwards of 10 20% of net zero emission goals by 2050 so hmm. in the strategy of the government um it's it's a core component um but the theoretical reason for it i think gets a lot of critique because it's seen as something that's easy for industry to adopt because it's it's not it's not shaking the boat for industry so much. It's just kind of throwing money at the problem.
2: Right. Like oil and gas companies get to keep doing what they want to do. And as long as they invest in in carbon capture, no biggie.
0: They're set. Yeah. Which 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 isn't right. And I feel comfortable saying that even as a journalist, because if you look at any sort of climate expert talk about the challenges ahead... I mean, you need more than band-aid solutions. You need whole level systematic ground up behavior change from from everywhere from companies to people. And you have to think about it. Well, if if every dollar is precious, how much of those dollars should be sent to band-aid solutions versus hmm. spurring ground up behavior change solutions? And I think you know, that's the tension that the government has because, you know, well, in actuality, the carbon capture systems might be a little bit more further along right, then some of the more behavior change solutions of uh, of making systematic change on alternative energy sources.
2: I mean, I guess it's not unlike looking at the larger critique of this bill that has come from environmentalists who have said this isn't good enough and other people looking at it and say, hey, man, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good.
0: Every minute counts. And we're now at the point where just individual action alone is no longer considered feasible to stop the world from warming. Uh, large level systematic government level change is, is what's going to move the needle. And so this is definitely, you know, potentially moving the needle. Um, but is it moving it enough? Who knows? Um, and, and is it going to create an environment that makes it easier to move the, you know perhaps pass more ambitious legislation in the future, who knows? Maybe this is as ambitious as it'll get. And then we'll basically, you know, see 30 years from now, whether it really did much or not, or does it spur a culture of innovation on climate technology uh, and create more bills that help us get towards the progress? It's It's all kind of, you know, we'll have to see, you know, by 2030 and 2050. But but 2030 is pretty close. And, um, you know, anything that can be, you know, given even an extra year of, of of timeline because they have a little bit more money to make their solution market ready, you know, if it's a big enough solution that that can that can move the needle.
2: Pantra Verma, thank you so much for your reporting and for talking with me.
0: Absolutely. It was a pleasure, Lizzie.
2: Trontu Verma is an innovations reporter at The Washington Post. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Tori Bosch. Joanne Levine is the executive producer for What Next? And Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. What Next TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash plus to sign up. Okay, we will be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.